This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Welcome back with Gary Harley. This is segment two. Gaz, the Knights joined the rugby league competition in 1988. In 1991, you were appointed the official caller for the Knights on 2HD radio in Newcastle, at home and away. When did that finish? John, um, I had five years or four years at a rival station, 2KO, after I finished at HD. So uh, if we work that out from 91 to 2019, it'd be 28 years. So I was probably at 2HD about 24. Does that work out? Yep, that's, (laughs) that's dead set right. Now, when the Knights won their first premiership against Manly in 1997, you were responsible for one of the most balanced, controlled and unbiased calls in sports broadcasting history. Now, Joey Johns and a bloke called Darren Albert were the two players to figure in the match-winning try. Your composure was amazing. Yes, yeah. We tried, unbiased, in inverted commas. <laughs> you, <laughs> you went are kidding. You went berserk. Yeah, I did. I did, I did. And uh, we were never, we were never uh, told that we were unbiased. <laughs> and, but no, it was, it was a day to remember. Um, Michael uh, Beattie, the CEO of the Grafton Race Club and the former steward in the Gallops in the Harness Race, he was my co-caller uh, at the time. And um, we decided to go down in the morning, uh, about 10 o'clock, to beat the traffic. Uh, they're in the grand final. Manly had beat them nine, the last nine games, I think. Mm. Flogged them at Brookvale Oval prior to that. So down we go. Uh, we had a coach who had never believed in the word losing, the former English champion, Malcolm Rooley. Um, loved to, uh, what would I say, mix it or dish it out uh, to the opposition, uh, devised a plan to win the game. We are going to attack, and we were going to attack in a very aggressive way from the kickoff. Three of their blakes got nailed in the first 15 minutes. Paul Harrigan went bang, bang, bang. Uh, and the call at the end, um, I still remember it like it was yesterday, uh, Andrew Johns, we missed a field goal or two. Andrew uh, got a ball down the blind side, uh, about 20 metres out, uh, drew a couple of defenders, passed it back to Darren Albert, who could run 100 metres in even time, and he sprinted away to score after the post. The crowd, which was probably 70% Newcastle, went berserk and so did the commentator. I lost it for a while, <laughs> and the fact that I had... Fact: I had fifty dollars on them with cold tidy at seventeen dollars halfway through the year. Didn't make me go so mad. No. <laughs> oh yeah, Gary, I'll never forget the Friday afternoon you rang me at the Two GB Studios in the spring of nineteen seventy-six to tell me there was a very smart cult coming from Newcastle the following day to run in the Breeders' Plate at Randwick. There were two divisions of the Breeders' Plate that year and you were very bullish about that cult. Yeah, um, Luskin Star, the colossal cult from the coalfields. Mm. Um, John, 
In those days, Newcastle uh, Jockey Club held a day, fundraising day for the Mata Hospital in Newcastle. They get about 10,000 people at the racetrack for the, for the fundraiser and they had the Mata Hospital barrier trials. So there's a two-year-old trial on. John Wade's on this chestnut horse by Kairu Star, had a promising. Mm. Bred by Jimmy O'Neill, a family friend, even Marie, up at Luskin Tyre. And uh, I think he might have been foaled with Lionel Israel at uh, Sejano at the time. Mm. Different Sejano to what's there now. So he wins the trial out of sight. John Wade gets off him and said, this is something special. Told me that. I was pretty close with John at the time. He lives in Queensland now. He said, this cult is something special. Uh, the town, the racing people in the town were just raving about this horse before the breeders played. And he was very lucky to win. He only won me 12 lengths, didn't he? Oh, yeah. That was the margin. <laughs> 12, <laughs> 12 lengths. He scrambled yeah. in. <laughs> so the cult from Newcastle had arrived. John, I'm not sure now, although I've done a lot of riding on him. I think he won five or seven group ones. Uh, um, well, he, he, he only had he 17 them. starts, you know, Gary. He won 13 of 17. He won yeah. the slipper by seven lengths. He won yep. twice at a mile, Champagne Stakes, Caulfield Guineas. He didn't stay the 2,000 metres of the Cox Plate, however. No, and he won a couple of group ones in Brisbane. Mm. Uh, Versailles, I think. I think he won. Did he win two group ones in Brisbane? I'm sure he did. But, John, he won the Triple Crown, the the Golden Slipper, the one in between, um, the Sires yep. and the Champagne. Yep. Yeah, well, he won the three, Triple Crown. Plus two there's in Brisbane, three. plus the yeah. Caulfield Guineas, at Caulf least at least six. Yeah, oh, he was a superstar. Mm. Uh, there's a bit of controversy around him, as you know, uh, Max Lees went to the stewards to scratch him in the big two-year-old race at Newcastle because the um, track was a bog yeah. and they wouldn't let him. Mm. And Mistress Anne beat him, but John never hit him with a whip. And the stewards were very upset about that. But mm. um, they proved their point, and then he won the Golden Slipper after that. He was yeah. – well, Bart Cummings described him as the best two-year-old he'd ever seen. Yes, I know. And yeah. whether he was better than Vane – I don't know, but he would have been up there with him. Gary, I'm wondering about your special memories from your days as a tricode caller. Now, harness racing first. You called a great horse called Rip Van Winkle one night at the Maitland Trots. Yeah, what a superstar. Michael Vanderkamp owned him and trained him out at a place called Farley, uh, which was about 10 minutes from our place in Talara in the west of Maitland. Uh, Michael had a farm there. Anyway, there was a lot of talk. Terry Radley, Greg's father, was a trotting journalist for the Newcastle Herald and a great trot man, and he was raving about him for ages before he made his debut. So I was calling for you at that time. I mm. think it was 2GB yeah. uh, at the time. We had a, um, a makeshift box, which we nearly drowned in one night when a storm hit. There was no <laughs> windows or nothing in it. There was nothing in the front, John. Yeah. And we were 20 yards past the winning post. Uh, anyway, we got by. So um, he stepped out. Beautiful horse, had a tremendous uh, style about him, and he just bolted in. And from then on, he became one of Australia's best. I think Pure Steel might have beat him one night in Melbourne. He might have outstayed him in a race. Because mm. that was a great era, John. That was one of the great eras in trotting. 
Yeah. Uh, the West Australians were at the top of their, their game. The Victorians were great with blokes like Gordon Rothker and them uh, driving in the Shin families. Uh, and then, of course, in New South Wales, we were a superstar too. And, of course, West Australia had a horse probably just after, I'm not sure, called Mount Eden, mm. who won the most mar- unbelievable miracle mile ever. Mm. In 1971, just getting back yeah. to Rip Van Winkle, Gary, to remind Harness fans of his achievements, he won 49 from 73, he won yep. 10 from 14 as a two-year-old, he won 18 from 22 as a three-year-old, and on one occasion there, or in one era, he won 11 straight at Harold Park. Yeah, what a horse. A terrific horse, a son of... He was a great horse. Four Hanover. Yeah, a lot of tragedy around him too. Uh, Michael's wife got killed in an accident in New Zealand and Michael went to Queensland to live later in his life and he's passed away too. But um, he, he was a beauty, that horse, an yeah. absolute ripper. Michael van der Kemp died much too soon at age 57. Now, on yes, the greyhound front, Gary, you called a lot of dogs and there was yep. one that uh, has never left you. Her name was Jessica Casey. Yeah, she's the best one I called uh, because I never called in the city. Um, Jessica Casey was trained by a great bloke, good friend Johnny Finn in the west of Sydney. John's still training. Gee, John would have to be late 70s now. And this um, female, we called them bitches in those days, but uh, (laughs) uh, this female won the grey end of the year, the golden Easter egg, the richest race in uh, New South Wales, won the national sprint, and um, this night, the Newcastle Jockey Club, and my son was instrumental in this race, called the Winfield Classic, a four-dog race between the Queenslander Credibility, the Victorian South Road Sid, Jessica Casey from New South Wales, and I cannot remember what the fourth one was, but it ran fourth in the race anyway. Mm. Old-timers at Newcastle have described it as the greatest race they've ever seen at Beaumont Park. Mm. But the Queenslander beat her. Credibility beat her a nose and a nose to South Road said, I call the race. It was just a great buzz. She got beat that night, but she went on to be the best greyhound in in Australia, uh, without doubt. She was a super female, that one. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final Inglis auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses of two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. 
You call many a galloping race in the Hunter Valley, but there's one big horse, and I mean a big horse. He was brushing 18 hands. What was his name? It, well, his name was Skeletor, and I believe uh, there's an area up there near Musselbrook where he was owned and trained um, called Skeletor, and the racetrack is called Skeletor Park in Musselbrook. John, I never called in the city, and um, or Wine or Gosford. I mainly called Newcastle, Cessnock, uh, Scone, Musselbrook in those days, and therefore I never called any feature races. But this horse came through the grades. He won the Cameron Handicap at Newcastle, which is a, a really good race, as you know. But when he was a young horse, I called him. Uh, winning at Newcastle because they brought him to Newcastle because he was always last in the home turn in his races and sometimes 20 lengths behind him. But he loved the long straight. He won in town at Randwick, but he loved the long straight. And Bill White, who's also in our Hall of Fame, uh, rode him. And for those people who don't know Bill, Bill's won every country cup from Newcastle to the Queensland border. Mm. and won a Durban 10,000 in the early 50s. And then his son, John, won the Golden Slipper and rode Luskin Star for nearly every start. Mm. Well, John and Bill won on Skeletor, and he used to unwind this amazing finish down that long straight at Newcastle. You know the horse well yourself, and he was a crackerjack. Trained by Victor Oakes and owned by Harry Hayes, Correct. a man in the meat industry up there at Scone. Mm. Yeah, great old fella. Yep. Now, racing form dominates your life nowadays and you're constantly looking ahead to the next meeting. Does it keep you awake? John, it, it don't keep me awake, but it takes a lot of time. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, my two sons and their families live in a state, so there's only Sue and me here. Um, and Sue's had a lot of, you know, uh, illness, and um, I have got this office where I'm sitting now with a great big TV, and the, uh, the still got the fax, uh, got the mobile phone, got the computer, uh, and everything out here, and even a bed mm. out here. And at the moment, <laughs> this little dog, I've got this little dog here with me, which yeah. really keeps Sue going. Uh, we bought it not long back, and she has a lot of bad days, and the dog is uh, very, very good. So with the form, if as soon as the form comes out, bang, you get it off the computer, and you start going through replays. It'll take you a full day or maybe day and a, day and a half to cover trials and look at all replays you want to do, and um, then you settle down to do your tips after you've had a look at replays, etc., And then anyone who says that they don't look at markets is telling lies or they're silly because it's very handy to look at markets as well. So um, it takes a hell of a lot of time, but I just love it because every time the fields come out, I get a bit excited. You're seeing a lot of these horses regularly and you say, well, gee, that'll win. I'll be on that. I love a bet, as you know, and um, I just love it. Now, what also happens is on Newcastle meetings, I write a preview in the Newcastle Herald, our local paper up here, and then uh, a review after the meeting. Um, I've got to do the radio with Sky Racing, 
preview from 10 o'clock on the morning of the races. Mm -hmm. Then we go to the track and we do the preview on Sky Thoroughbred Central. And so, John, after you've done all the form, done the, some stories, and Wyong and uh, Gosford, I do tips and things like that that go on their websites. After you've done so much work on them, you can you nearly know them off by heart when you come to the Thoroughbred Central preview. Mm. Sometimes I don't even turn the page of me form, and I just say, oh, this did this, this did that. Because by doing so much on that horse in the last couple of days, mm. you nearly know it like by heart. Yeah. But, yet yeah, we do a lot of form, mate, a lot of hours. But to do any good at the caper, you've got to spend the time but by gee, there's some critics out there. But as I always say, at my age, John, I say it on the telly, it's water off a duck's back mm. yep. when they give you a blast, you know what I mean? <laughs> You've become oblivious to the blast. <laughs> yeah, mate, they make yeah. no difference to me. I couldn't care less. They're mostly people who uh, haven't got an idea themselves. Uh, it's just not racing. You know, everything with this social media, they've just got a licence to bag you, mm. and, um, and that's what they do, but I couldn't care less. Don't worry me, I just carry on. Guys, <laughs> happy? Yeah, exactly, and that's the main thing. Now, you and your wonderful wife, Sue, were the proud parents of two boys, Todd and Troy. Uh, Todd, the last time we spoke, was in the mining industry in the Northern Territory, and Troy is currently the CEO at the Bendigo Greyhound Racing Club, and uh, he's been a dog fan uh, since a very early stage of his life. Yeah, mate. Uh, well, we'll start with the youngest. Todd played first grade rugby league in Newcastle. Then he played first grade uh, in Singleton. He was in the mine up between uh, Maitland and Singleton. And then he went for a – he was a mechanic by trade at a local uh, holding place here in uh, Maitland. But he went for a drive – uh, up to Darwin in his car mm. or in his uh, Hilux mm. and um, he met a girl up there and that was the end of it. Mm. So he he came back for a couple of years and then he went back and he's been there with her for many years now, many, many years. Mm. Uh, they got a boy, uh, six-year-old, and the boy is my grandson mm. and you know how I, I used to not want to skite about and didn't like people skiting about their kids and that. Mm. This kid's six-year-old. He scored 58 tries this year. You're skiting. Local, You're skiting. <laughs> yeah, I know. In the local – I didn't think I'd ever do that. In the local <laughs> rugby league. Yeah. And uh, he's going to be a, a footballer without question. So Todd's in a mine up there, and um, he's not. He's never coming home. He's got a boat. Yeah. He gets out there in the water, and his partner teaches – people how to ride horses. She's got five ex racehorses there. He's at a uh, place um, out of Darwin about 10 or 15 minutes or something. Um, so he settled there. Uh, he's had a few racehorses. That's Stephen Brown who moved to Melbourne to train. He trained a couple of horses for him that won races uh, in, in Darwin when he was up there. Troy played first grade league in Newcastle as well. He started, I got him work experience with the Newcastle Jockey Club uh, and then uh, they gave him a job there. He was there for four years uh, and then he went to England to play rugby league. Super League war broke out. They wouldn't let him play. So he went to Natal in South Africa and played first grade rugby union. 
came back home after one of his mates got shot um, in a restaurant in in Johannesburg or somewhere. So he come back home and he got the job of CEO at Singleton Dogs, then at the Gardens in Newcastle, and then he went to Southport, played rugby league, come back, and then he got a job with, uh, I think Brian Judd uh, was instrumental in getting him a job with Racing New South Wales. He was the area manager in the Central West. Then he was the CEO of the Dubbo Club after that. And then he got offered a big job in Victoria with the Greyhounds. He went to Warrigal and now he's at Bendigo. And he's got two little girls, one 11 and one 7. Uh, the 11-year-old has got issues, uh, but she plays AFL. And uh, it's only a little tiny thing. Yeah, a yeah. little tiny thing. Yeah. And the other one is a judo star. <laughs> You're skiting again. Um, yeah, well, I, <laughs> yeah, with, um, I mean, the wife, uh, without yeah. uh, those kids and this little dog. Uh, she I know, would, it's lovely. She'd be struggling bad. But, yeah, they're, they're well entrenched. So uh, they come home every couple of years for Christmas. Sue goes to their places a lot. I've been to Darwin, but I've been to Bendigo. Mm. Darwin's a bit too hot for me, John, in my condition. Not your caper, Darwin. No way. No. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, time's beaten us, mate, on the podcast, and I'm sorry You're about right. that because I've enjoyed every minute of it. But in closing, I just want to say that uh, Maitland – has produced some outstanding footballers with Andrew Johns, probably the legend of legends. Perhaps the town's most famous son was the immortal Les Darcy, who died in 1917 in Memphis, Tennessee, at 21 years of age after winning 52 from 56 fights, all before he turned 22 years of age. He was a remarkable bloke. He was a remarkable athlete and a remarkable son of Maitland. But Gary Harley, you're snapping at their heels, son. <laughs> I don't know about that. And yeah, it's Les Darcy. Yeah. Would have won a world title, only he was suspected to have been uh, ill-treated, or might as well say it, poisoned in America. Mm. Um, and that's what they believe all over Australia, but I think there was a hundred or two hundred thousand people at his funeral, John. Mm. Oh, astonishing! Amazing, amazing. It's great to, to read his life and his record uh, all these years after his death in 1917. He was a remarkable man, the blacksmith yep. striker from Maitland. Gary Harley, yep. thanks for your time. Been a delight to have you on the podcast. John, you've been a great friend over many years and uh, gave me opportunities here with 2GB. And we'll always remain good friends and there's been no better race caller than Jay Tap. Thanks, mate. We'll talk soon. <laughs> See you, John. Thanks. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The stallion representation at the English Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, not a single doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinch and Brook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medaglia Doro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never and Zoo Star. 
English again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the English ready to race sale at Riverside. <laughs>